I thought you're not close enough. Sorry, young boy. I'm gonna have to knock this down. Uh, I feel good, man. Just, uh, I've been in my bag all year. listeners it is the in my bag podcast coming back to you kenny what's going on no uh no uh standard introduction you know of course you know i'm alex but i'm here with kenny so kenny what's going on what up alex how's it going is it still snowing up there uh yeah it's coming down a little bit i wouldn't even call it snow exactly because it's not even sticking to the roads it's just kind of dusting cars and and people's yards and stuff like that Mm, the only snow left here is the stuff that's sitting in the shade and what's on top of my car because I have not left the house today. Too cold. I ain't for it. Right, right. I don't plan on leaving unless I just absolutely have to get food later. But we are here, listeners, to talk a little bit about the NBA trade deadline, um, our Super Bowl picks. Oh, not Super Bowl picks. Our The Super Bowl results. And we're going to talk a little bit about the XFL. A boot? Yeah, you're Canadian now, Alex. You're letting your energy break out. Did I say a boot too? You did. Jesus. You did. Okay. I don't know. I've never. I'm not good at accents, so that that was totally some kind of weird happenstance that probably won't ever happen again. I really would like to do be better at accents, but I just can't. I can't figure it out. Like, what would you do with them if you were? I don't know, just be funny, have, say funny things in different, um, different accents. And, you know, I think that would just be a good time. You know, when comedians, um, talk with different accents, it's funny, right? Yeah, but like, you're already funny looking. Do you need to sound funny too? I am not going to dignify <laughs> that with a response. Let's get into it, Kenny. Yeah, yeah. Anything in your bag lately that you want to talk about? Uh, in my bag is that I'm officially renaming this year from the year of the rat to the year of the scrap. Because for those of you that care, it's gonna be a hot year for the UFC. Another big one coming up this weekend. A couple pods ago, you heard me mention another one that was big had passed in the uh. Grand Slam that was Kamar Usman taking on Kobe Covington in a fight that, without a doubt, will go down as a top candidate for fight of the year. Guys that just stood toe-to-toe in the ring with all the bad feeling and emotion towards each other, scrapped it out. Followed that up not long after to start the year off, Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone, while it wasn't the same level of fight of the year scrap, it was great to see a megastar and Conor McGregor returned ceremoniously, even though it had to be against somebody I really like in Donald Cerrone, and make his way back into dominating the fight game and becoming a top attraction. And we've got another top attraction coming up here tomorrow night in the uh, infamous future Hall of Famer, one of the greatest, possibly the greatest to ever do it, John Jones taking on another top-ranked undefeated contender in 
Mr. Reyes, Dominic Reyes, who a lot of people think have a shot at it. I don't. I think he'll get toyed with a little bit, but that's definitely what's in my bag coming up this weekend. What you got in your bag, Alex? Yeah, well, first I wanted to say that I actually knew that there was a fight coming up. Oh. Kudos to me. Uh, What's in my bag is the Netflix show The Circle. I had heard about it um, in passing a bunch of times, heard some podcasts talking about it. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. What's it about? Okay. Okay, Kenny. All right. So, The Circle is a social media reality TV show competition. There's a lot of words, so let me break it down. Social media reality TV show competition? That's way too much in one. All right. What you got? All right, so it's um, the amount of people varies because they. Um, I'll get to that in a second. So let's say there are six people, and these six people are all put in an apartment building, kind of like Big Brother or, and Real World, all that kind of stuff, right? Right. Following so far. Okay. But here's the here's the kicker: they never see each other. What? They only talk via the social media that they have created for the show. It's called the Circle. So they can group chat, they can they can DM each other, and then they also have little games that they play with pictures and whatnot. They make a profile and like and so the only thing people see is your profile and what you are speaking to them. Uh. And so the way you use that is you can make yourself whoever you want. And so you can you can either play yourself up to be like, you know, oh I'm a doctor. I fly across, I fly around the world saving people, or I'm some weird looking hobbit looking dude, but I'm posing as a woman, like a supermodel. It is, is a very, uh, very entertaining uh, experience. So what happens is they, they have to eliminate each other. So basically what they do is they vote for, they vote each other to be influencers. And then there's two influencers and the influencers decide who goes home each week. And but the kicker also is that the show keeps adding more people as people leave. They keep adding more like at random points during the season. So it doesn't go from six to one, like within six weeks. It's like, all right, two people are gone. Then they bring back they bring in somebody and then they eliminate somebody else. And then they bring two more people in. And it's and the the shadiness, the like the the actual mental calculus they have to do to figure out this like i'm gonna say this thing so that these people like me or i'm not gonna say these things and make people think it's somebody else because there's like two or three catfishes on the show and they're all trying to like keep like keep their identity hidden another kicker is like when you get eliminated you can um you get to you get to pick one other person like so let's say you're eliminated, Kenny. Once you're eliminated, you get to choose to visit one person in the in the apartments. So, like, let's say, um, I, you and I had a really good connection, and you come see me. You think I'm like a supermodel, and you come and see who I really am. And then you get to leave. Also, as a parting shot, you get to leave a a video, mm-hmm. and you can say whatever you want. So you can like you can expose me. Or you could just be like, "Hey, it was nice. It was nice seeing you guys. I'm, you know, good luck to you all. 
I'm gonna keep it moving type deal. It's it's a very it's very very interesting. I just picked up on it last night and I'm already like two thirds done with it. Mm, that sounds uh, that's a bit much for me. I'm not gonna lie. There's entirely <laughs> too much going on on that show. I think I'm gonna it's let a lot, that one pass. Kenny, don't let it pass. Just watch like the first five episodes. I I promise you, you'll be like, okay, this is because it's just it's like it's a reality TV show, and I usually hate reality TV. But it's just spicy enough to where, like, oh, like, they are really out here trying to get a bag by posing as somebody else. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's I think it's good TV. And uh, hats off to Netflix for figuring this out and putting it, putting this content out. You know, I'll, I'll let that one stay in your bag. <sighs> All right, man. Maybe Amber will like it. I don't know. Like it was, it was just a good time. Like it was, like it was like it was that kind of TV that's like you know you just watch like when you don't want to pay attention to something and then it catches your interest. Like maybe that's how it was for me. I was like I was totally ready to shut it down for the day and then I started watching it and like it kind of like grabbed me. But you know, to each his own. Let's get let's get into the Indeed. NBA trade deadline. So All right. there was a, there was there was a healthy amount of trades that went down. Yeah, uh, yeah. After yeah. a very slow beginning of the season, as far as via trades, like what it was like two or three trades before the trade deadline even happened. Yeah, yeah, but I think a lot of um, us people that like to talk about sports, you know, foresaw a lot less during season or early season trades because of the level of parity created by uh, Golden State falling in the shambles, um, the arms race that was beginning in the Western Conference, uh, the slide off again in the Eastern Conference. I think we saw a lot of people, a lot of teams, a lot of uh, front offices that wanted to see exactly what their teams were going to be before they pulled the finger, before they pulled triggers on any type of trades or any trade talks in the first place. And, right. uh, and also, okay, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to add on the end. It made for a, another beautifully mastered, very, 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 um, not tedious, but a very, uh, very on edge type of free agency deadline where on everybody who had a team that was in any type of position to make a trade, whether you're a buyer or a seller is on edge waiting to see exactly what's going to come across that ticker on ESPN. Right. I think what I wanted to add to what you were saying is like every, I agree completely with what you were saying about um, teams wanting to hold off to make a move. I also think that this new player empowerment um, phase that we're going through has made trades harder because guys are outright saying, I'm not playing for this team. I will sit. Don't make this trade. You will not get your return on your investment. That's so that true. makes trades a little bit, yeah. That makes trades a little bit harder because you have to one okay it with the player because beforehand, you know, you some players get moved and they had no idea until it was brought to them on social media. I, yeah, I'm so very now, yes, that's one example for it this time around. But I'm talking about in the past, like Blake Griffin, 
Um, Boogie Cousins infamously being traded live on television during All Star break. Right. Yeah. So stuff like that. So I think teams are a lot more careful these days about trading a player because they could end up losing the trade without what, what on paper it'd be a win, but the player itself himself not wanting to play and it ends up being a L for them. That's true. But I think so, we also see a lot more teams because of that, that are, if they're in a position to make a big move for that year, they're more than willing to take on one year rentals, i.e. the Toronto Raptors, who had a who probably had a pretty good idea that they wouldn't be able to hold on to Kawhi Leonard with his hometown being in effect somewhere that had a strong case to recruit him in a free agency the next season. They were willing to say, you know, hey, look, we got a chance to do something for real this year. So let's go ahead and take a ride on that and see where it goes. Which also right. makes yeah. a lot of exciting trades and movements that you know, we don't expect. We didn't get any of those this season exactly because I think a lot of the teams were already kind of set in where they are aside from, you know, mm-hmm. the big splash with Miami and Memphis happening, which right wasn't even that big of a splash, just a lot of players moving in one big movement to make a team slightly better. But I think in well, years to that. come, we'll see a lot more stuff like that. And, yeah, let's go ahead. Yeah, so I, I think we should pick a favorite move and a least favorite move. And if I had to pick a favorite move, I, it would have to be a tie with the move that Miami and uh, Memphis made. Um, I think this trade works well for both teams. The The Grizzlies get a, a, young, a young kid in Justice Winslow that is ready to buy in and go to work just like all the other kids on that team. And then... Miami comes out getting wing defenders and veteran presence that they'll need in the playoffs. So I think I applaud both of these teams for making it happen and applaud Andre Iguodala for not playing one second of basketball for a half of a season and still managing to pull off a a two-year extension. I'm going to very simply wrap up my thought on that by saying that trade stressed me out and I still don't feel like I like it. I'm going to hold my thoughts and feelings on Andre Iguodala for another time when we have more time because as a Grizzlies fan, I definitely feel some type of way about his time with us this season. (laughs) Uh, I feel very Dylan Brooksy about it, if we're going to be honest here. Um, I mean, hold on, Kitty. You knew knew as soon as you made that trade he wasn't going to play. I knew that it was agreed upon that he was going to essentially be a asset of value for player movement for the Grizzlies. And that's fine. But my thing about it is, as a veteran NBA player who has been in essentially every level and aspect of being an NBA player, you can be where in you were the young rookie trying to make the come up. You were the hot new sensation, all-star level player getting to have your own team in Philadelphia once Allen Iverson was gone. You were the uh, journeyman veteran that was working his way around trying to find a team he could help. You were the veteran role player that played a huge aspect in being a part of a dynasty. 
I feel like with the wealth of knowledge that you have about guiding, about traversing the NBA, he had a lot that he could have contributed to this Memphis Grizzlies team without ever stepping foot on the court. But instead, he was selfish during his time here, and his only care was, what can we do to get me out of Memphis, and how can I further my business ventures? Which Neither of which I have an issue with, but you could have endeared yourself into being a mentor to these young players who have high potential and high value. It's not like you're in Minnesota where you got a bunch of softies that have had their time and aren't really going anywhere because all they do is complain and whine and talk big. You've got guys here that are performing, living up to their potential and aspirations and have bright futures ahead of them. Even if you never stepped on court or suited up, you could have been in there, in there with them at practices, being a part of the team while you're here. At no point in time was he ever part of the team. He was just a name on a roster, and that bothers me from a professional perspective because I highly doubt that his early years in the NBA, he didn't have NBA vets that were there supporting him, helping him, and helping guide him along the process. And I think he could have been a much bigger asset to the team than just trade fodder. And that's my big issue with it. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm glad you've gone off to Miami. I hope y'all – I really wanted to root for Miami because I really like Jimmy Butler. I like the cut of his jib. Like, he's a great player. I love his attitude, his work ethic, the way he goes about the game. But I cannot support Miami anymore because of Andre Iguodala. And I was always pretty neutral on him as a player, but now he's definitely somebody I can't like. Wow, that's Andre gets. I just want Andre to know he gets no love in Memphis. Like unless he, like <laughs> barring some more stuff comes out where we find out he was doing that type of stuff. But as far as I know, and based on the attitudes of the young players and the way they felt about him leaving, I highly doubt he had any hand in helping with their development. Which I think is a role as a veteran player where he's at. It's just something that you should do to give back to the game that gave so much to you. That's all I'm saying. But, no, he wants to go yeah. ring chase like a 40-year-old soccer mom sitting on the sideline chatting up the coach. Oh, you really heard about this. All right, so I agree in premise with literally 100% of what you said. But here's the thing. He has every right not to to give back. He doesn't, he doesn't have to give back. No one said he – there's no line in his contract that said, you must mentor these young young kids. Now, they – I don't even know if they could have used it because obviously they're in a different mindset as far as where Andre Iguodala is in his career, where they're trying to go. Andre Iguodala is a very cerebral type of player, and these kids are just hungry. They – I think he may not have been – his his ideals may not have aligned and been receptive to the young cats. Now we can't. There's no way for us to know unless somebody actually talks about it. But I'm not opposed to him staying away, especially to spend time with his family, to sure up his his uh, post career endeavors. Um, I'm a, I'm all for that. Now I definitely feel for you, and especially because it's your hometown team. You are, you're upset that, you know, you guys gave up some stuff, 
had this guy on your roster paid him and he did he virtually did nothing for you except be a piece that you got some stuff back and I don't know if it's all an even exchange or not but and that's the other part of it that upsets me if I can interrupt you right there I the only piece that came back that I can really say that I like is I like getting a younger wing that probably gives you some similar Jay Crowder type, you know, abilities, probably a little bit of an upgrade from Jay Crowder because he is younger. He's on a longer term contract. So you get somebody that's locked in for several years versus having to go through negotiation with Jay Crowder over the summer. But I say all that to say what Jay Crowder gave in value to this team, both on and off the court, the chemistry he had with these young guys being kind of that glue player and that veteran in the locker room to help guide them along stuff that Andre Iguodala could have, should have done. And that value is enormous. And I can only hope that Justice Winslow is able to fill those on the court responsibilities and that what Jay Crowder imparted to these young guys while he was here continues to be a staple within them, which I think it will be because this is a team full of dogs from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And I understand that Iguodala didn't have to do it. It's not in his contract. But doing what you have to do does not make the cut of a man. It's doing what you should do that makes the cut of a man. And that's my issue with Andre mm-hmm. Iguodala. I don't think him being offer... involved off the court with that team would take away so much from his time with his family, his ability to invest time into his business ventures. Because even if it's, okay, be at practice two to three times a week. Be there to help mentor, be there for these young players as they're going, transitioning from, you know, being the guy and being essentially at the highest level to now you're not anymore. You have to work your way back up there. Any depth of NBA experience, especially from somebody who's had the success that Andre Iguodala has had, stayed out of controversy the way Andre Iguodala stayed out of controversy. I think those can all be good additions, but you weren't willing to because you wanted to go do your own thing. And that's what annoys me. Not the fact that, not even the trade itself, because like I said, I like Justice Winslow. I think once he comes back healthy and is able to contribute to this team, he'll be a huge asset. Um, I like adding a little bit of depth in the backcourt and Gorgie Jing, because clearly some of the other options they had, and um, not backcourt, frontcourt depth they had, they weren't sure on. Those are fine. I'm glad they got rid of Deion Waiters because I just I really knew he was going to be a <laughs> locker room cancer. Um, we didn't really need James Johnson, so I'm glad they were able to uh, flip that for Gorgie Jing in the end. Well, can I can I offer a devil's advocate? Point? Yes. All right. So let's say this is kind of piggybacking off of what I was trying to say before that he may not, Andre Iguodala may not have been the right fit as to be a mentor or a leader on that team. He's banded them together. It's a now us against the world mentality in Memphis, which is what the Memphis Grizzlies have always thrived on. Anytime they have success, it's an us against the world mentality. 
and having a common enemy has banded them together in a way that makes them very dangerous. I get that, but I don't think he needed to be the source of that when you already have sources for that. You know, the players on the team already have their own individual and group chips on their shoulders from John Morant being drastically underrated coming out of high school and into college and even coming from college to the pros. He was still highly underrated by some people saying he did it on a small time. He won't be able to do it on the big time. He's not big enough. He did it against lesser opponents. Uh, guys like Dylan Brooks, who were heavily overlooked coming out of high school into college, coming from college to the pros. Um, guys mm-hmm. like Jaron Jackson Jr., who are always overshadowed by the guys who were drafted around him and players like Luka Doncic and Trey Young who are ball handlers and able to be bigger assets to their team and put up bigger numbers because they control the ball most of the time. Um, Jonas Valanciunas, who probably felt like he was slighted by his uh, Raptors being shelled Mm -hmm. away for Mark Gasol, essentially, you know, having that feeling of I wasn't good enough. I was told I wasn't good enough to be part of a championship run. Like I think they have enough chips on their shoulders as is I think his value could have been better in a mentoring role while he was there. And it just sucks that he didn't see the value in being that. Yes, that's fine. Well, let's move on from the Grizzlies. Do you have a favorite move? Um, I do. My favorite move is actually one that a lot of people seem to hate right now. And I really like that Warriors um, Timberwolves deal for the Warriors. Yes. That's actually my that what I was I was saying that the tie between Memphis Memphis Miami and then Warriors. Uh, yeah, that's. I love D'Lo and Cat together. See, I'm on the other side of that. I think D'Lo and Cat like they'll be two good players on a good team, and that'll be nice and all. But unless that organization stops being derelict, add some talent around them, hold guys' feet to the fire and can get a coach in there that's really going to push them to be as good as their numbers individually are, they'll continue to be the underachieving with good talent Timberwolves. I love this move for the Warriors, who just got a lot bigger in their wing department than they were previously. They just got a lot more athletic. They already have great youth in place to go around it. That just made them not younger because D'Angelo Russell's pretty young himself. But I think being able to move Clay back to his natural two spot, he's still going to take on the best wing defender. I mean, the best wing player on the opposing team. Draymond Green is still going to take on the second best offensive player from the wing or forward position on that team. Steph Curry is going to return healthy. You have what's probably going to be. Steph Curry is already healthy. Right. Return is the key word there. (laughs) He's definitely healthy, but you know, that's a different conversation. You're going to bring back a top five pick that you can probably end up pairing with one of your future picks that you took from the T-Wolves to, if necessary, move up and take the player who I think they're eyeing and draft this cup upcoming offseason and James Wiseman. And all I can say is if next season 
the Golden State Warriors are able to put on court a starting lineup that is Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and James Wiseman with all that talent that they've been kind of developing this season. And I mean, like, the Warriors, mind you, they've been a trash team for the most part of this year. The guys that have been playing on that court have no, for the most part, have no business being starters, which makes up a big point of them being trash, but them playing those starter minutes and be able to develop and getting that competition against high-level NBA players and really learning who they are and how they play together, giving the organization a chance to see them. Now they can develop their bench even more, and I think this is the restart of a Warriors dynasty, and it could be something really, really scary for the NBA next season. Let's not forget that they also, this move can give them a little bit more cap flexibility to, say, attract a Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right, but, which I don't think they are. Like, Giannis seems like the type of player where as long as Milwaukee is willing to cut that check and keep a similar team to what they have now around him, he'll probably be a Milwaukee Buck for life. Mm. But I think everybody's talking about... I, I thought Kevin Durant was going to stay in OKC his entire career. Uh, Kevin Durant is definitely not Giannis Antetokounmpo. For one, Kevin Durant is a... Yes, they're Kevin different. Durant, like not even game-wise, mentality, personality, mm-hmm. lack of insecurities, um, not having... I mean, we're not in his head. We don't know what insecurities Giannis has. He's at least secure enough not to have to try to shoot back at uh, Twitter and Instagram followers in his off time. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, so I like I like it. I like the trade for both teams. I thought, I think it. I mean, it definitely helps the Timberwolves now, and then it'll probably help the Warriors more yes. later. Uh, my least favorite move was probably the Andre Drummond to Cleveland deal. I don't get it for either side. Like, what are they doing? Um, it it just doesn't make sense to me, Kenny. Like, you give up. First off, Detroit gave up Andre Drummond for not enough. At all. And then the Cavaliers took on Andre Drummond and his contract for what? Well, I would... I would hope their game plan is they don't expect him to re-sign in the offseason with them, so it opens up a roster spot and some cap space that previously they wouldn't have had. Who knows? Like, there's always going to be players. I mean, not a big player, but there's always going to be players towards the end of free agency that don't get paid or don't get picked up that are more than willing to take a check from anybody. And, I mean, it's Cleveland, so Mm. they're known to make terrible moves anyway, so – I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm just confused. That's, that's, I, don't, I, I mean, don't that's Cleveland. It. That's LeBron James list. Cleveland basketball. Confusing moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, losing and lack of accountability. Yeah. So, that's the NBA trade deadline. There's a lot more trades that we didn't talk about, like the, the um, Rockets making moves, the Clippers making moves. We may get to that next week um, after we get done with our All-Star Weekend coverage, but we're going to move on from that. We're going to take a break and come back and talk football.
and we're back. It's the In My Bag podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We are about to talk about the big game that happened um, a few days ago. Uh, are we talking about, you know what, I'm not even going to be around the bush and joke about it. We know what big game we're talking about. Same big game we talked about last week. You guys heard us make a lot of bold predictions, a lot of breakdowns on what we thought was going to happen. And uh, I can't say I remember all of our bold predictions, but fortunately that's what I have our essential uh, in my bag, CEO, co-CEO, co-creative mindset slash secretary Alex here to run <laughs> us back on whenever he finds it. But I'm pretty sure you don't have it. No, I don't have it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know I was wrong about pretty much everything I predicted. We predicted the, the winner. Winning. <laughs> yeah. And that's all that really matters, you know? I was definitely, I remember specifically saying a couple of things. I know I said, Patrick Mahomes be sacked more than he ever has been. That mm-hmm. proved to be very, very wrong. Um, his mobility and the wide receivers' speed and quickness to be able to get in and out of their routes proved to make that San Francisco 49ers defensive line mildly ineffective for a good chunk of the game proved to be true. Uh, mm-hmm. But they were effective enough to make Patrick Holmes as inefficient as we have ever seen him through about three and a half quarters of NFL football. Mm -hmm. And that astounded me, to be honest. I knew it would be tough, but I thought it would be more like one sack per drive, but he would still find a way to make it happen. And for the most part of that game, they could not. Yeah, I know. Um, I know a few of mine. I said it was going to be a barn burner. It kind of was. A little it bit. was. It's a high score game for a Super Bowl. Yeah. All right. I said Shady McCoy was going to get a touchdown. He didn't play. Nope. Nick Never Bosa was going to get three sacks. Yep. Nick Bosa was going to get three sacks. He only got one. Uh, pick six by Sherman. Didn't get a pick. Nope. And. I said something about the rushing game, but I can't remember. In fact, he got the opposite of a pick. He gave up essentially the big play to really, mm-hmm. really, really get Kansas City back in it and roll it again. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that really quick. Um, there's a lot of negative publicity going on about Sherman and his defense in that game. And I thought he played, from what I saw, like I didn't watch the entire game. I watched because I was at work. I watched the first quarter half of the second, and then all of the fourth. Mm-hmm. And so from what I saw, he was playing really good coverage. He did get exposed a few separate times because Kansas City – oh, newsflash, Kansas City has very fast receivers. Right. And that's that's all it was. It was basically speed dominating, and I don't think you can penalize him for that. Like you can't give him like a 15-yard cushion that would ta- it would take to – stay with these guys the entire the, the entirety of their route. Um, so people bashing Richard Sherman, especially at his level of veteranship, like all these years in the league, I think he gets the ultimate pass because he played defense. He played it as well as he could have. And it still came down to the Chiefs just playing out of their minds in the fourth quarter. Right. Like, let's, let's stop for a second and – not act like for three quarters the Chiefs were held to 10 points. 
Like, right. There's only so much you can do as a defense when your offense gets to a point where they're not producing. And if you are any type of actual football watcher, not a casual fan who, you know, yells out stuff that doesn't really make sense and makes people that actually watch and pay attention to football cut you a side eye. I mean, if you're the person cutting the side eye, then you know as a defense they can only – even the best defense in the world can only hold up so long if they're forced to constantly get back on the field. Um, The 49ers did Richard Sherman and that defense a disservice by not running the ball more often, especially in the second half. I think I saw a statistic Mm -hmm. uh, this morning that said that during the second half of the big game, the San Francisco 49ers had 36% of their plays run were designed run plays. I'm sorry, if you're up 20 to 10 on Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, you've got to be hitting somewhere between 40 and 50% of those plays being run plays, if not more, mm-hmm. especially when you are predicated on your run offense and a strong defense. A strong defense's best support is a great run game because it mm-hmm. gives them a chance to get on the sideline, recoup, breathe, and be ready to come out again and be strong. And watch series. And watch film. See the breakdowns on those tablets on the sidelines of what guys are doing, what they're not doing, what their scheme looks like, what they need to adjust. You don't have time to do that if every other out for your team is a three and out, five and out. You right. have just enough time to get over there get your helmet off, run down to your group meeting, maybe get a sip of Gatorade in, and now as soon as they're getting ready to break out the tablet to start breaking down plays, defense, get your helmets back on, you're back out on the field. That's exhausting. That's tiring. Those are the build-ups to why when Richard Sherman gets beat on an inside move, he doesn't have the same poise and presence of mind to be able to know, hey, I got beat on the inside, but I need to hold this outside because they love to stack inside and then run back over the top. He's not going to realize that because he's mentally exhausted and physically exhausted. He hasn't had the time necessary to recoup and get his brain back right. So now you're a little bit fried because you've got guys that run 20 plus miles per hour. And Richard Sherman has never been a a cornerback whose key has been speed or athletic ability. It's always been size, intelligence, and knowing the play to make. And it's hard to think properly when you're exhausted. If you don't believe me, go out here and run a mile and then come back and try to take a test. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, let me uh let's reinforce that the the great points that you're making and do an impromptu who's stat line. So let's do okay. So what I'm thinking is let's take total passes from the 49ers versus total rushes what is what was the breakdown as far as plus minus uh let's see i'm do you going think, do you believe after watching the game i believe that the plus minus is going to be uh i'm going to say it's plus plus 30 on the passes well, no, let's, it's going to be the difference. Like, okay, so take the amount of – the attempts of passing and then subtract the attempts of rushing, and what what are you going to have? Yeah, I'm going to go plus 30 on that. 
Well, it can't be plus 30. You're saying there's going to be 30 more passes than rushes? I think so. If I had – well, no, no, I'll take that back. I'm sorry. Um, let's go plus 15. I think they threw the okay. ball 15 more Very times close. than they ran it. It was plus 9. So that was, uh, that was pretty close. And for a 49er – for a 49er squad that got to the game off of rushing, even though you're down, well, I mean, you weren't down until the fourth quarter. You got to have either more rushes or almost even to win that game. Yes. Especially against a lightning in the lightning in a bottle that is Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs offense. True, true. Um, I think the now, biggest storyline here uh, is go ahead. Uh, I think the biggest storyline here is going to be that we watched Shanahan make the same mistake that has not necessarily ruined but taken the Seattle Seahawks out of being arguably in position for the best and current dynasty in the NFL. And that's that you had a quarterback that you felt like is the future of your franchise and possibly the NFL. And rather than let him naturally take course and become that, you tried to push him into that with game planning in the big game. And that showed to work against your favor because a lot of people point to the uh, interception he had off the play action pass attempt on second and five i think if you run that ball you've got at worst third and seven because maybe you run the same play maybe chris jones makes the same split through the middle and is able to get back there and tackle um more set in the backfield but maybe, maybe because your offensive linemen understand this is an actual run and not a play-action run, they hit a little bit harder on that block. Maybe they do get that push to move him forward, and now you've got third and three, third and two, or first down, because guess how many yards per uh, rush Morissette was averaging through the season and through the playoffs? Six yards per touch, which means if it's and- second and five, you hand that man the ball. If he gets hit in the backfield, okay, you lose a yard, maybe two. You might have to pass it and then punt it. Or you can run it and punt it. But it's not an interception. Yeah. You don't give the Kansas City Chiefs the ball back, and they don't have an opportunity to begin what's probably one of the best comebacks, the second best comeback in mm-hmm. NFL big game history. Right, and I think a lot of – I just think they did almost everything wrong as far as the, the 49ers on offense. Like I said before, minus – plus or minus nine, however you want to do it, on passes. Uh, two of those were actually Jimmy Garoppolo's rushes too, so let's just add two more. So that's that's minus 11. Um, and then essentially you don't – get George Kittle the ball enough. He had four receptions. Debo had five. He played. Debo played well. Very well. I think they failed to get him the ball efficient, continue to efficiently get him the ball in the second half. Yes. So the so the passing 
the the passing plays weren't efficient enough because in the big game you got to get George Kittle at least seven seven catches. Debo stick around that three to five range and hopefully he can bust one for a touchdown. But yeah, when you have when you throw the ball thirty one times and your best receiver George Kittle only gets it four times, you're not you're not playing you're not playing to your strengths. And I think that's I think that's the biggest story as far as now the Chiefs did play an excellent game and they did have an amazing comeback. But I think the 49ers played themselves out of the game more than the Chiefs brought themselves back in. I'll say that's the one thing where I might disagree with you a little bit, not getting George Kittle the ball enough. I think in that aspect, the Chiefs just had a great game plan. And of all the weapons that they needed to take away, for San Francisco, George Kittle was the biggest. And I think that if you go back and watch the film, they had a lot of over-the-top help to take away any throws that Jimmy G might mm-hmm. have wanted to get to him. And I think they strove right. a little bit too much to, instead of, like I said, working him in, get him some short, mix up his routes that you want to hit Kittle on. You know, they don't all have to be – play action where he hits a wheel and tries to go over the top or he has the deep in or deep out, hit him on some mm-hmm. flat throws, hit him on some, um, hit him on some curls, hit him on some drag routes coming over the middle where he can catch the ball mm-hmm. and make a play because that's something that he's really good at. And I learned the hard way when they played my new Orleans saints. And I just, think- yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's what, that's, that's the thing. Like, I think the play calling was off. I, sure. I would have, instead and, I haven't seen the All-22 yet. Um, I'll probably watch that this weekend. But I feel like they just weren't designing plays to get him open. Yeah, run your drags. Run an underneath. Give him like a, like a basically like a uh, a jet sweep and let him just get in space and make, make some plays. I don't know. I just, I just think they, I think they played it wrong. And hopefully they get back and get back next year and be able to redeem themselves. In Super Bowl Fifty Five, I hope they don't, because I would much rather see my Saints there. Forty Nineers can suck it. As far as I care, they had their chance. Get out of here. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's. That's the Super Bowl. Anything you want to say about the Chiefs? Because we talked a lot for a lot of Forty Nineers and very little Chiefs. Um. Let's see. I feel like we can keep it short enough to talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes and this whole uh, contract controversy that we got coming up. Actually, I got a quick question. No contra- I got a quick question for you. There is some controversy behind it, if you really believe it, and it's the same controversy that has been a uh, part of quarterback contract talks for a long time. And we'll hit this really short if we can. Do you think he should take the pay cut everybody is talking about, or does he go get that big money and risk not having postseason success according to the legacy that we've pre-written for Patrick Mahomes? It's mm, a great question. I think that he should meet them in the middle, not take a pay cut, but not go get a, a big bag. Mm-hmm. I think he should take a couple steps down, make sure Travis Kelsey is taken care of, make sure Tyree Kill is taken care of, Sammy Watkins is taken care of, Damian Williams, make sure he can stay on the roster, and then you take what's left. I think the perfect play here for him would be take a pay cut without taking a pay cut. Don't 
take the guaranteed money, bet on yourself. Take a low guaranteed amount, but have them write in mm. all types of bonuses and then go get mm. all your sponsorship money. You know, be Tom Brady. Tom Brady, I saw something today. I'm just kicking out the stats today, guys. Tom Brady made 48% of his contract money on signing bonuses. 48%. Now, mind you, nine of the last 18 Super Bowls, this man has been in. I'm more than willing to bet that has something to do with it. Oh, yeah. That's an excellent point. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. That's how you yes, can pay that, guys. That like, is the solution. That's how you pay guys like Grump. That's how you pay guys like Randy Moss when he was there for the imperfect season. That's how you manage to build a number one defense around having the top quarterback in the game. Because how many top quarterbacks in the NFL have top rated supporting defenses to go around them? Not many. And that's why not Very many. Few teams become dynasties like the New England Patriots do because Tom Brady was smart enough to understand I don't have to get if I earn half of my actual yearly income from football and the other half in bonuses and endorsements and sponsorships then I can have success financially and on the field I think if he goes for that big time, 40 mil, 15% of um, 15% of the uh, team salary contract that a lot of people are telling him to go get, then the, 40, the Chiefs won't be a dynasty. There'll be a flash in history with a great quarterback, and then he'll be sad Aaron Rodgers for the rest of his life, wishing he could get That's better. a great point, Kenny. Yeah, that's that's an awesome point. I didn't even think of that. That's that's great. Um, yeah, I'm gonna think on that some more because um, that that could be the solution. Let's uh let's move on to the XFL. They're kicking off, um, as of this recording tomorrow, February eighth. You are not a fan. I'm not. You're not a prospective fan of the XFL. I think it's gonna be pretty good. But let's talk about really quickly. Let's talk about the kind of rules that they're proposing changing and what interests you about them um let's see in terms of the rule changes i think the biggest one of interest to me or really the biggest two of in no the biggest one of interest to me would have to be um probably the um the extra points the removal Mm -hmm. of the extra point and the uh Basically, you can go for one, two, or three points depending on where you go for it from on the field. I like that yeah, one. Let's, yeah, for the listeners, let's let's break it down. So a one-point extra point try will be from the two-yard line. A two-point try will be from the five. And a three-point try, they will have to go from the 10-yard line in school. I like that. I think that helps out a lot of NFL teams because a lot of kickers we've seen recently struggling more than we ever have and that could be a solution. But I'm not a big fan of moves to um, moves to diminish punting and force a lot more going for it on fourth down because I think that mm-hmm. removes a very major and important part of special teams and strategy. I also think those moves, while 
they may serve for a slight, you know, raise of interest and intrigue and excitement from fans, I think you are diminishing the effects and the importance of special teams and especially players who have made their come-ups through being special teams players. You know, you get a lot of guys on the defensive side of the ball who become, you know, great players and work their way up into starting positions because they're able to shine on special teams and get their chance that way. You get guys like Taysom Hill who made a name for himself by being a special teams player and gaining his opportunity to play in other aspects. You get guys like Devin Hester who made his way into the Hall of Fame by being the greatest returner of all time. Where do guys like that end up if they don't have those niches well, to shine in anymore? Well, they, they are they're actually going to the kickoffs exactly are going to be different. Whereas okay, so in a normal NFL kickoff, you kick it, everybody runs at the same time. In the XFL, no one's allowed to move except for the the returner and the kicker until the ball is caught or hits the ground for three seconds. Right. So that's gonna that's gonna induce more returns, but it's also gonna be safer because guys aren't gonna be flying at a hundred miles an hour and crashing into each right. other. Right. I get that. So I think that's interesting. But I think that's the kickoff I'm fine with, but the it's the punt aspect particularly that I don't like because you're going to see on average there are more punts than kickoffs over the course of an NFL season. But also, but even the punting thing is like, you know, nobody can move. But right. touchbacks go to the 35-yard right. line instead of the 20. And they're hoping That's that, huge. right, and they're doing that. I read, like, this is XFL's words, their hopes is that it creates more of an urgency to go for it on fourth down versus punt. And like I said, I think if that wasn't the goal, like you can have the safety aspect of it, but leave it, leave it at the 20th, like give defenses and offenses and coaches and personnel a chance to continue to strategize and scheme to use a great defense. I think, Mm-hmm. I just don't like that it feels like they're trying to diminish the value of special teams, particularly the punt where a lot of guys who aren't high-profile players coming into their professional league have a chance to shine and earn their way onto the field. That just makes me feel yeah. like, you know, it's almost taking food out of some guys' mouths to make fans salivate a little bit more about a team going for it on fourth and eight instead of punting it. Yes. Okay, but the purpose of this league is not to, you know, be the NFL. It's to keep guys in shape, give guys a chance to show what they're made of. The games are going to be shorter, which I love. I don't love that they're changing the catching rule to one foot. That I think that's going to hurt more wide receivers than help. The double forward pass is a wrinkle that's very interesting. That's going to help guys who aren't necessarily quarterbacks get their shine because – they're going to be able to get to throw the ball a little bit more. Um, I think I think all these rules, in a sum of their parts, is a is going to produce a, a pretty good game. I'm still not excited because, I mean, I can see if you're asking me personally, I'm not excited because I don't get geared up for second rate football, which is 
really exactly what this is. It's second-rate football. That's what college is to me. I wouldn't look – I that's – that's about as close as I'd be willing to get to second-rate football because even though it is second-rate football, you still get the advantage of most of the most televised games are going to be top-tier teams that have NFL talent scattered throughout. So it's like it's not quite NFL quality, but it already provides that not quite NFL, but a little bit more fun, a little bit more fast-paced and a little bit more intriguing for whatever vary of reasons. And I just don't want second-rate professional football. I guess it's the same reason why you're not going to catch me watching, like, nothing against it. You're not going to catch me watching G League games. Mm, I love G League games. And, again, like I said, that's my personal opinion. I, I hope for the sake of, you know, it creating – more jobs and more opportunities for guys that can get back to the NFL or in the NFL that feel like they didn't really have the chance they wanted to, to get in an opportunity. Um, it may be huge for like the diehard, super hardcore NFL fans that want year round football. But my biggest take on XFL is I think the NFL is realizing that the NBA has become a year round attraction and they're grasping at straws in attempts to make the NFL or football a year-round sport as well. And this is just their most recent venture into trying to gain that back. And I don't know that it'll work because the NBA didn't make NBA year-round by adding an extra league that people want to watch. They made the NBA year-round by being more conducive to the fans, listening to the stuff we wanted, and it's kind of not being buttholes about this sport. Right. Yeah, you're right. All right. But regardless of if you're a fan or not, you got to pick a team. So do you want me to go through the teams for you, or do you have one that's your uh, Who Cardale Jones play for? I don't know. The roster is Kenny. I just know you're supposed teams. to be our XFL expert here, Alex. Look, you got the Birmingham Thunderbolts. Wait, no. This is not <laughs> No, these are teams that are not ready yet. Okay, never mind. We got St. Louis Battlehawks, Houston Roughnecks, Tampa Bay Vipers, Seattle Dragons, Dallas Renegades, New York Guardians, D.C. Defenders, and Los Angeles Wildcats. Mm. Cheese and crackers. Go ahead and pick St. Louis. That's the hometown team. I'm not from St. Louis. It's the closest. Technically, the Birmingham team would be the closest. They're not real. They're not a team yet. They're, I think they were the old. That was the old XFL oh. team. So how many teams are even in this league? Eight? Eight. Yeah. Do all eight of them play this weekend? Okay, I'm looking at them now. So Guardians, Defenders, Vipers, Dragons, Renegades, Wildcats, Battlehawks, Roughnecks. The Dragons sound the coolest, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, I'll run with the Dragons. Where are they from? Seattle. Seattle. I like Seattle. I miss them having an NBA team. So, yeah, let's go. Seattle Dragons. That's who I'm running with. See, that was going to be my pick, and I want to pick something different than mm. you. Um, well, you shouldn't have gave me first pick. I mean, that's fine. I will pick. I'm going to pick the Dallas Renegades. 
going to be an outlaw. So re renegade gang gang. And you are a dragon. Yep. Alrighty then. Those are our teams. And we won't forget oh, that. Uh, even though we forgot everything else we talked about I'll, last week. I'm definitely going to forget. I would not lie to our viewers. I'm, I won't forget. It's going to be stuck in my brain. Okay. Let's get out of here, Kenny. Anything you want to talk about plug parting shots anything like that uh let's go tune in this weekend for a oh cardale jones plays for dc i was hoping he would be a dragon oh well um tune in this weekend watch john jones make history and become the defendingest champion in ufc history he looks to break his current tie he has with who i think is the greatest of all time mixed martial artist, one Georges Saint-Pierre, uh, in hopes of accruing his 14th career title defense. Um, and be on the lookout for me dropping more of these big fights coming in and letting you know what to watch, where to watch, and how to watch. If you want to know how to watch illegally, I can't tell you on here because I will not be held accountable, but I just might put it on my Twitter or Instagram in case you're wondering. Also, go follow In My Bag Podcast on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. We ain't got a Twitter yet, but it's on the way. A what? Yes, we have Twitter. Don't listen to Kenny. We got a Twitter. It's already there. <laughs> What are you talking about? We've had a Twitter for forever. We we need to plug our Twitch account. That's what we need to plug. Kenny and I, I'm just going to take it over from here. Kenny and I are going to start doing some some podcasts via Twitch. Um, if you're not familiar with Twitch, it's a streaming app that you can watch people play games. Kenny and I are going to jump on uh, NBA 2K, Madden, COD. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit pop culture. We don't get to talk about pop culture enough because there's just so much sports news. So we're going to jump on Twitch every once in a while and drop some pop culture nuggets. And like he said, follow us on all those platforms at MIBagPod. Also at MIBagPod on Twitch, just in case you want to hit that subscribe um yeah man just uh have a great weekend stay warm out there it's actually it's finally winter <laughs> in tennessee man. uh wherever you are i hope you're staying warm and we'll catch you guys next time peace take, take care and more tune for your head top so watch how you speak on my name you know